0: Hello, and welcome to On Point, a podcast by Oak Street Funding, where we bring research and data-backed insights to dig into the minds of industry leaders to learn how to stand out, navigate, and break through this ever-changing industry. I am your host, Bridget Height, and you can support this podcast by following us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on our website, or really, wherever you get your podcasts. We will be there, hanging out, talking to industry leaders, and ready to empower you to grow your business. Now, let's get on point. Today, we welcome Brian Henson, Director of Underwriting at Oak Street Funding. Brian has been with Oak Street for nine years and working as an underwriter for 20 years. And over the years, Brian has analyzed thousands of companies and their credit worthiness. Today, we are going to hear Brian's recommended best practices for business finances. Welcome to the show. Brian. Thank you, Bridget. <laughs> nice to it's
1: see you. it's great to be here. <laughs> I heard episode three is where the plot really thickens. It's, and it's true. We develop the characters, so <laughs> this is where we're going to get down to business.
0: This is where we really get down to it. Okay, so first question, right out of the gate, what do you like best about being an underwriter? So I think
1: most people peg underwriters as you know math nerds, <laughs> but I think that I I really cherish the human element and component to what well. we do. So. These are all human run businesses still. We don't have robots yet, but uh, they, uh, you know, they have a business need and I love going out there and actually sitting with them at the table, hearing how they run their business, meeting their management team, talking to their employees, see how they interact. Uh, I'm very tactile that way. <laughs> and so over time, you you know, you talk to our borrowers or our clients for so long that you develop these you know pretty strong bonds and relationships right. it's almost like getting invited over to someone's house for the holidays oh. right, and sitting at dinner so so that's my favorite part
0: nice so what makes what makes a good underwriter
1: well a lot of underwriters are very very different so you know i mentioned i like the human aspect right. of it but a lot of people are very technical and they're into looking at all the data and sensitizing the data looking at concentrations of revenue looking at financial statements yeah. So really the I think the best thing an underwriter can do is be flexible because mm-hmm. you are trying to solve a problem for somebody right. whether they're an acquisition or an internal succession or they need working capital and so actually digging through the numbers whether you do it in a more personal way or do it you know behind the desk and finding a solution for someone I think that's better than you know if you were a robot doing it on a yes or no okay. basis. Right.
0: Um, so what type of relationship does an underwriter have with a seller in an acquisition? So typically,
1: if you're an underwriter, you're working with a buyer, Right. Uh, a broker will work with a seller. Uh, but we're working in lockstep with the buyers and, and our borrowers and in sort of that diligence process, collecting information, understanding sort of the synergies of doing an acquisition mm-hmm and and what it takes to you know acquire that business sort of what what sort of culture fit there is and so occasionally we'll ask the seller to sit down and we'll sit down with buyer and seller and just go through some diligence questions a lot of times the sellers can be a little sensitive maybe they haven't told their employees yet that that, that they're doing an acquisition or or considering one and um, like i said or they're working through a broker and so but you, you know we'll ask some questions maybe a little uh, question answer session in person things like that
0: okay um so one of the important reasons for solid business financial practices is for business valuation so can you speak to what appraisers are looking for when they're performing valuation studies
1: yes so it's very hot market now (laughs) uh from a multiple perspective because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of liquidity out there private equity firms are Just gobbling people up left and right, which is raise the valuation multiples. Mm -hmm. And so an appraiser, when they're looking at your businesses, basically they're gonna benchmark what you do to what they're seeing in the industry and looking at different quantitative and qualitative factors that will change sort of that benchmark value. So a discount, discount rate or a, a multiple of revenue or EBITDA. And So they'll look at the same things that an underwriter would, whether the the depth and strength of management, the concentration of, you know, producing revenue producers, concentration of clients, uh, margins, sensitizing that to the industry. Uh, market conditions, what, what does it look like in your industry? Mm-hmm. And then they'll go through and they'll analyze all those factors, benchmark it against transactions that they've seen in the marketplace today, and then determine your relative value compared to someone else. So so a lot of times we hear, hey, so-and-so down the street sold for, or got appraised for 12 times EBITDA or something along those lines. And it's like, well, not every company is the same. And that, And back to my first question, that's, what makes my job so great is every, even though they're maybe in the same industry, have the same sort of revenue producing factors, every company is, is different, right. which is awesome.
0: Because of the human element. Correct. Got it. So even if you aren't selling a business, solid financials are important if you are seeking a loan. What red flags do you see that alert you that a company might be a credit risk?
1: Okay, uh, there's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, We'll get into this later, I think. But uh, first and foremost is working with the right character of individuals. Mm -hmm. So just listening to people and and how they answer questions, how organized they are. Do they know where their contracts are? How is their corporate governance set up? Have they do they have signed corporate governance? How organized are their financial statements? Does the balance sheet balance? That's a key one. Oh yes. So yeah. <laughs> So it's, there's, I think that's where I start. Yeah. It's just how prepared are you for doing whatever your, your business goals and objectives are. Right. And I think the more prepared you are, probably the better off. Uh, the second thing is uh, experience. You okay. know, is it a, a startup entity? Is it any that's been around for a while and been through up and down credit cycles? Mm. Is there a history of, of financial performance there? Those are the things we tend to look at. There's a lot. Yeah.
0: Okay. If a business owner has poor personal credit, can they still get a business loan? Yes. Okay.
1: But it's a little bit harder. Oh, okay. Again, it ties to the 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 character thing that I just uh-huh. talked about. So it keeps
0: coming up. There's <laughs> always a start.
1: Yeah, you'll hear it again. I'm sure. There's always a story behind everything, right? Uh-huh. And and a lot of people have circumstances that go beyond their control that affect their personal credit score. Or maybe there's something that was reported. You had a Kohl's card, $10 past due for 30 days and nobody ever told you, right? So, so there's always reasonings behind it. So it, a score is one thing, but it's what's behind the score. What's driving it down? Um, and then the other thing is, if if you have a poor credit score, but you've demonstrated that you're able to build up your personal net worth, and your business is super squeaky clean, and right. you have a long history of financials, then sometimes we'll sort of see that as an anomaly and and yeah. proceed.
0: Okay. So what happens? What happens if a loan request is denied?
1: That's a tough one. Yeah, there's a couple things. <laughs> we don't send a nasty dear John letter oh, to your house, so that's good. That's good. Um, you're usually working with a team of people, uh-huh. both the underwriters and and salesperson when you're requesting a loan. And so, typically, if there's a very valid reason for declining a loan, and like I said earlier, there's not a a method or, or, or a solution that solves the problem, but maybe in a different way than anyone thought, mm-hmm. then typically it's you got to rip the bandaid off and just have a, a tough conversation and say, hey, you're not ready for a loan today and here's why. And maybe they know the reasons why and they just didn't think of it that way. Or maybe it's new information to them. And then maybe you either give them a solution mm-hmm. for solving their business problem or, or a sort of time frame of when they could come back and request a loan and say, well, listen, I don't think today you're ready because you're a startup entity, you've been around for six months and you don't have any proven revenue sources. Right. But you come back in a year or 18 months and you've, you've proven things out to us, then yeah, we can proceed with a loan. So it's I like to be transparent in the process yeah. and, and I, th- I hope that most underwriters are transparent and you're developing a relationship with someone and if it's not gonna work, to sit down and have an honest conversation.
0: And are you the one that actually sits down and has that conversation? I will, yeah. That's great. Okay. Um, lenders frequently reference the five C's yes. of credit when they're talking about the suitability for a loan. Could you delve into those and how they relate to financial best practices?
1: Well, this is like a three-hour podcast oh. in itself, <laughs> the five C's of credit. Okay. And luckily, I remember them. Okay. <laughs> but I I'll go through them. Anyone could look them up. Let's see if I can remember them <laughs> if, without getting myself into deep trouble here. Character. Okay. Capacity. Yep. Capital. Yep. Conditions. Yep. Collateral. Do you have those now? Yes, done? I
0: do. Oh, good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you did one. I passed. Thank <laughs> you. You did
1: oh,
0: well. That, that was a <laughs> tough one.
1: And I have two favorites. We already talked about character ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Along Came Polly. I think that's yes. the most famous movie of an underwriter that there yes. ever was. We don't get Ben Affleck, the accountant, we get Ben Stiller, but whatever. Uh, that, so it's he's assessing whether someone should be worthy of a life insurance policy. And it's yeah. it's Norman Van Leeu, and he's jumping off of bridges and all crazy stuff. But anyways, so but at the end of the day, he sits down and he says, well, this guy's character is worthy of doing this, even if all the other credit factors don't work out. And so I think that's a little bit underlooked because when you're looking at a request, uh, for, for a loan, it's typically coming in on paper yeah. and it's got financial analysis on it mm-hmm. and you're not thinking about that character component. And that's why, going back to my first question, I like to get out there and meet the people and see how they interact and how they interact with sellers and that kind of stuff. So I think that's uh, super, I don't want to say super underlooked. It's one of the most underlooked aspects of, of underwriting. And then the second one, is conditions. And now in the technical term of conditions, it's basically how is the loan structured. Okay. But I like to look at it as market conditions. So think about the last 18 to 24 months, what has been going on in the world. It's been the craziest time. You had a COVID pandemic, a government shutdown, you had trillions of dollars pumped into the economy, you had the great resignation, you had highest ever stock markets, and now we're talking about uh, war in in Europe, right. and at the same time, you're sitting there, and and people are still trying to go out and acquire businesses and plan for succession, mm-hmm. and they need working capital. And so, so when I think of conditions, it's you know what is going on in the world that impacts your business, and how does that relate to the credit risk as things are going on? Okay, so it's it's. It's crazy, but it's been working. The businesses are still performing really, really well. Thank heavens. <laughs> for the most part.
0: <laughs> all right, so that was character and conditions.
1: Yes, those are my two favorites. Okay, <laughs>
0: all right, those are your two favorites. Well, then I will move on. Okay. Um, for businesses seeking an acquisition loan, what is the ballpark percentage for the cash flow ratio?
1: Great question. <laughs> I don't think there is one. So the you know, back to the five C's, It's you know, what, can you service enough debt or can you s- generate enough cash flow to service all of your debt mm-hmm. and that includes a senior debt which would be a loan from a, a bank or financial institution or your subordinated debt or mezzanine debt which would be if there's a seller note in an acquisition or someone else has put in capital at sort of a blended interest rate mm-hmm. um, to help you get something done and so so really the you know, I like to look at on a total debt service basis, one to one as a 1.1 as a minimum, because that'll leave you a little cash flow left to pay right. taxes, which everyone loves paying taxes. Oh, yes. I've heard. That's, yes. I think that'd be one of the earlier podcasts. <laughs> but um, so so that's sort of my benchmark. But the other thing is capacity, uh, which is the other C is you invert that. And it's how much debt are you putting on a business before you sink it? Okay. And so the the actual like, I don't want to say industry standard, but the benchmark I like to use is, you know, three or four times. Okay. But if you think of if you're putting a three times debt on the business and you can trade for eight to ten times, you got a lot of cushion, there, which is good. Yes. Good for me. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. OK. Yeah. Um, so debt isn't the only way to get capital capital, and sometimes it isn't the best option. So what are the pros and cons of using debt?
1: Well, I actually was able to speak to a bunch of college students on this once And debt creates the highest return on equity Mm. because you have to, you use little or less equity in each transaction going forward. And equity is typically the most expensive option. So, so the more leverage you can put on a business, typically the higher rate of returns you can get. But the downside to that is you are required, as all lenders do, to secure your business with collateral, whether that's the stock in your business. uh, If you have tangible collateral like real estate or machinery or that kind of stuff. And then a lot of times and and probably most of the time you're required to sign a personal guarantee. And so the, the thing about that is. If you are confident in your business and you know that it's a strong business, mm-hmm. you know, typically that stuff doesn't matter, right? Because you, you've you got faith that, hey, I know what's gonna happen. This is gonna be successful. You know, I happily assign that collateral to you, but that's, that's the downside of debt. The other options, whether you were talking about mezzanine financing, uh, equity, you know, you're giving up some of the corporate governance, a board seat, per chance, some of your, st- you're diluting your stocks, right. you're diluting your returns going forward. Um, so the, yeah, so debts, obviously it's the cheapest component, even right. with interest rates going up and it creates the higher highest rate of uh, return on equity.
0: Um, what is the best type of loan structure?
1: Oh gosh, <laughs> there is one. So what the way I like to look at it is there's a billion loan structures And like I said earlier, each company is so dynamic and different that you have to find a good fit. And the I think the thing, the main principle I like to do is marry the source with the use. So if it's a short term working capital type of loan, Mm -hmm. we keep a very short term structure with the flexibility to pay it up and down over time. Um, maybe renew it on a yearly basis so we can figure out what the working capital need is for future periods. Okay. If it's a acquisition, you know, typically you get those out over ten years. Your rate of, or your your return on the debt is typically much faster than a ten year repayment cycle, but it gives you time to absorb the business you're buying, implement all the synergies, sign all the new contracts if you need new contracts signed integrate the employees and that kind of stuff. And so a 10-year term there makes sense. And if obviously you're doing a physical asset, like machinery and equipment, that has a 15-year life cycle or a piece of real estate that has a 30-year life cycle, you can go out much longer than that. So I think that's probably the main thing when I think of structures. Can we marry term and rate to the repayment cycle of the asset? Sounds good. Great. Okay.
0: <laughs> so what are the signs of a strong business that make you more inclined to lend to someone?
1: Well. Just gonna keep on beating that drum. <laughs> One strong management team, yeah, experienced management team, someone who's been through different life cycles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's been a great run for businesses in the last ten years, but maybe someone that's been through that the two thousand seven eight sort of mortgage-backed security crisis and that kind of stuff. Um, diversity of, of revenue sources. so whether that's from a produce, producing employee, a contractual obligation with either like an insurance carrier or a custodian, uh, a client mix you know how how concentrated is the revenue with your client if we're, you were to lose a client or two could you absorb it uh, again in corporate governance you know who's who's making decisions at your company who do you want making decisions? Are your employees, um, you know, happy and engaged or can they leave and take their business with them at any point in time? Mm -hmm. So uh, all that to me is tied to that character component.
0: Yeah. How often do you find that a business has all of those elements?
1: Businesses are pretty smart. (laughs) They typically do. And a lot of times they're partnering with the the right people. They have good attorneys, good accountants, Mm -hmm. a good banker. Right, and they can call them up and say, "Hey, I'm, you know, I'm thinking of doing X, Y, Z. You know, what's your thought on this, and and how should I structure it?"
0: Great. So, do you have any finance tips for our listeners before we close?
1: You know, have a plan. Pre- prepare for the plan. Yeah. Be organized. Partner with the right people. Mm-hmm. So, around here, we have something called an accountability partner. So, you have someone that you that's a trusted resource, whether that's a business partner, an employee, a tax accountant, a banker that you can bounce ideas off of that, that has industry expertise that maybe will, will tell you like it is. Uh, The other thing I I like to, or I'm really high on these days is celebrating success, Mm -hmm. but also celebrating failure. So I actually saw this in a uh, conference. Okay. So very few people celebrate failure, but if you don't celebrate failure, then you're not going to learn and you're not going to innovate and you're going to quit trying and you're going to end up falling behind you know other people trying to do similar things.
0: That is so wise. Thank you. I love that. I have I've heard this recently that we are, when as we raise our children that we should be telling them to not be afraid of failure, to encourage them to fail and then and then look back and see like how you can improve that. I agree. That's great. Um so I have an off the cuff question for you. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh I would like to know if your coworkers here at Oak Street Funding could choose um, a character from the TV show, The Office, that you are most like, who would it be? Oh, and you cannot choose Michael or Jim. Okay. (laughs) And why?
1: Okay, great question. Mm -hmm. So people that know me well probably would say, I eat like Kevin, (laughs) I do crossword puzzles like Stanley, I make up songs like Andy Bernard and I'm weird like Creed. So <laughs> I'd probably do a hybrid, but if I had to pick one, I'd probably choose between the uh, Nardog or Creed.
0: I would have to say I'm most like Pam. Okay. That's I think I am most like Pam. Uh, yeah, because she, uh, she's an artist and but enjoys uh listening to other uh, other people's ways of life yeah and uh yeah she loves jim
1: yeah. she doesn't love jim yeah, right
0: <laughs> <laughs> well thank you brian for joining us it was really lovely talking to you Thank you all for listening to On Point, a podcast by Oak Street Funding, where we bring research and data-backed insights to dig into the minds of industry leaders to learn how to stand out, navigate, and break through this ever-changing industry. I am Bridget Height, and tune in next time wherever you listen to podcasts to hear Jane Saxon of Somerset CPA and Advisors discuss using capital and equity effectively. See you then as we get On Point. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review.